Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, episode 51, for the love of the game, let's cook. I'm the only one to get the job done. I don't know a no one that could cover for me. Yeah, got some game from my day. So she might say she love me, she don't love me like she say she love me. Believe me, believe me. I'm the nigga boy that love me in the street. I'm not trying to find nobody else to be. So it's been a little bit, but I'm back, back in the studio, back behind the mic. It's your boy, ATH, uh, episode 51 for the love of the game. What is good, everybody? Hope everybody's enjoying their summer so far. Uh, still got August left, so everybody uh, take advantage of the nice weather and get after it. So it's been a little bit since the last show. It's been a little slow in the world of sports. Uh, NBA free agency is basically done after an absolute crazy time period that was this free agency period as we've detailed on this fine program uh in a couple episodes specifically on episode 50 you should check that out if you haven't done so already but in classic hashtag this league fashion maybe a day or two after i finished recording episode 50 uh we had our last major move of the offseason go down the oklahoma city thunder traded star point guard my guy russell westbrook to the houston rockets for chris paul Two first-round picks in 2024-2026, the 2026 one being one through four protected, and a second round, I should say, and two pick swaps, not second round pick, two pick swaps in 2021 and 2025. Lots to digest here. Um, When this was announced, after rumors that Russ was going to be headed to Miami after Oklahoma City Thunder traded Paul George, uh, I was kind of shocked. Given his contract, I was shocked at the Hall of Picks and swaps that the Thunder got back. I mean, Chris Paul's contract is even worse. He's older, and he's not as good as Russ anymore. So it's a good trade for Houston. I mean, they got the better player, and usually in deals in the NBA, whoever gets the better player wins the deal. Uh, You know, as I've said it before, I say it again. All NBA caliber talent doesn't grow on trees. And as a result, teams are way more willing to trade first-round picks for all NBA caliber talent. Now, the fit. Maybe a little weird in Houston. Um, both he and James Harden are exceedingly ball dominant. I mean, they're two of the highest usage players in the last three years. Both guys really don't move without the ball much or um, much of late, I should say. Um, after Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City, Russ started playing a certain way. James Harden's played that way under Mike D'Antoni. Now, I suspect this is going to change a little bit. And Russ's ability to shoot threes, well, it hasn't been so good of late. But I do think this move will keep James Harden fresher for later rounds in the playoffs where he tends to tail off because he won't have to be as dominant an offensive force as he has been the last three years. 
Russ will get him wide open threes uh, to save Harden's legs. Uh, maybe Harden will use that newfound energy to play a little defense. Uh, but people forget when Russell Westbrook had shooters flanking him uh, and when he ran high pick and roll, how insanely great he were, I should say, how insanely great he was. And the numbers back that up. I sense there's going to be more of that this, this season. High pick and roll with him and Clint Capella with shooters uh, flanking him. And more importantly, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are buddies, and they've been buddies for years. And clearly the relationship between Harden and Chris Paul had gotten to a point of no return. So we shall see how it plays out in Houston. As for Oklahoma City, well, the teardown is complete. They now have so many picks going forward to rebuild between the uh, haul that they got back for Westbrook and for Paul George. Uh, But the fact that this era in Oklahoma City that included the likes of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, three MVPs, and later Paul George resulted in only one finals appearance and zero championships. It's crazy. If you would have bet that number when they started getting going in around 2010, you know, you would have been crazy. I can't wait for the ESPN 30 for 30 style documentary on that era of Oklahoma City Thunder Bass comes out. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. As for what they do with Chris Paul, who's 34 years old, who's been a great player, but who's had a major fall from grace. Well, they can't trade him till December, most likely, considering most of the NBA, I should say 40% of the NBA, was either traded or uh, a free agent, and those contracts can't be moved till December 15th. So he'll probably start the season with Oklahoma City, but they'll probably look to move him because OKC is going to want to shed the salary. And Chris Paul is going to want to be on a playoff team. We'll see how it goes for them. Uh, Now, for me personally, for my feelings, this is tough. Because as you all know, I'm a huge Russell Westbrook stan. He's my guy. I'm ride or die with Russell Westbrook. I also can't stand James Harden. Uh, I think he's a crier and a little bit of a bitch. His general manager, Daryl Morey, is a major crybaby, especially on Twitter. And the whole Houston Rockets vibes, I can't stand them. So I'm torn on this. I'll probably always lean towards supporting Russ, so I'll have to eventually bring myself to root for the Houston Rockets, but this honestly sucks. And that's really it for the NBA for a few weeks, unless LeBron James continues to act like a jerk on social media, uh, trying to upstage his son's basketball career by doing weird things like jumping in a layup line and celebrating like a buffoon. But whatever, that's, uh, we'll put the NBA to rest for now. On to tennis. Wimbledon came and went, and I know I mentioned it on the last episode, but since episode 50, we've had uh, the tournament come to come to an end, and it was awesome. We were treated to a Rafael Nadal-Roger Federer semifinal, which is always a treat, and it should be greatly appreciated and not taken for granted at this stage in their career, at their ages, where Federer prevailed to face Novak Djokovic in the final, and holy cow, what a final that was. Really, the only word that really sums up that match uh, between Novak and Fed was epic. I mean, it was absolutely epic. Over five hours of gut-wrenching tennis, five sets, the first fifth set tiebreak in Wimbledon history where Novak Djokovic pulled it out in the fifth, um, 13-12 in the tiebreak. That fifth set had absolutely everything. Drama, breaks of serve, insanely good rallies, incredible shot-making. And my guy, Roger Federer, 
had two championship points on his serve and lost both of those points, which is just brutal. Eventually, he got broken in that game. Just absolutely brutal. I was glued to my cell phone watching it by the pool because you know I have to have my summer glow on a summer Sunday. Uh, and agonizing over the match devastated the fact that Fed couldn't close it out. So Novak now has 16 majors and counting, and he's been on an incredible heater as of late. Tennis fans, we are so lucky to still have Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer playing the way they are playing given their ages and how long they've been in the game. And along with Novak Djokovic, while we may never see a trio like this again, this dominant, this talented for this long, just unbelievable stuff on the men's game. Twitter was absolutely buzzing during the men's final. I mean, everybody, even the most casual sports fans who never watched tennis during the year were absolutely glued to what was going on on TV. What a final indeed. Cherish these guys. I implore you, cherish these guys, tennis fans, because we may not have this for that much longer, but really, really, while we have it, appreciate the greatness. As for the women's final, Simona Halep made quick work of Serena Williams to take home the title. Good for Halep. I'm so sick and tired of Serena Williams and all of her shit with all the social justice warrior stuff, with the fact that she claims that, you know, she's in shape enough to play five sets and should be paid to play five sets, or I should say a best of five sets, because that's clearly not true. She's not in shape enough to play even best of three. I'm just tired of Serena Williams. I'm tired of all the extra stuff that comes with her. I'm tired of her pissy post-match interviews when she loses because there's no bigger sore loser in all of sports than Serena Williams. She's a great champion. She has been a beacon of light for women's sports and a role model for women's athletics for a while, but I've just had enough of her crap. I cannot wait to see her go. Get lost, Serena Williams. And while you're at it, Serena Williams, you're not the only female athlete to ever give birth while playing. So stop using that as a crutch and as an excuse. You're not special. Just shut up already. Enough with you. Enough. And now on to baseball, where we are in the thick of baseball season. That's pretty much the dominant uh, sport and storyline going on right now. I mean, we have the NFL Hall of Fame game coming and training camps are coming up, but I truthfully don't want to think about NFL and football season until I absolutely have to because that means the end of summer's coming and that means uh, I get sad. So uh, the trade deadline is only a few hours away and the Yankees are coming off losing three of four in Boston in brutal fashion where they got absolutely smoked. Their pitching staff got beat up. I mean, the pitching staff got beat up in the series against the Twins, but they were able to win two out of three. The Yankees, uh, you know, the staff is, is really hurting right now. And quality starting pitching is at a premium at the moment. Yet the Yankees still have a nine-game lead in the division, but they clearly, after this past week, clearly have some work to do by tomorrow's deadline. Um, and we are going to get into all things New York Yankees with today's guest in just a couple of minutes. All right, so as I mentioned before, we have a very special guest on, uh, major friends of the program, first-time guest. We're taking this episode international. Our caller agreed to stay up late in Israel, uh, Mr. Jonathan Stefanski. Jonathan, how's it going, man? Fantastic, Aaron. How are you, my friend? All is good. All is good. So we are in the thick of a 
rather exciting uh, Yankee season. I mean, they're a little bruised right now, so I wanted to have you on to talk Yankees baseball. Before we get into, into how the rest of the season is going to play out in your eyes and my eyes, um, what were your preseason expectations for this Yankee team, and how do you currently feel about them where they are uh, as a World Series contender? What are, what are your current thoughts of the state of the team? So I think, you know, obviously uh, let's not detract from losing three or four from this last weekend and kind of look at the big pictures here. Um, I think, you know, starting and starting with the preseason is that, you know, the Yankees won 100 games plus last year. You had to have high expectations that we had a great chance, you know, to win the World Series again this year. As any Yankee fan, you know, that there's only two expectations, winning the World Series or not winning the World Series. So I think based on last year, and the moves in the offseason, you had to feel, you know, reasonably confident. I think the biggest surprise this year has been kind of the Red Sox, although recently that's more of a challenge. Um, so I think that, you know, based on what we see preseason, you know, I didn't think we were going to be as good as we are now, leading the American League in terms of record. Um, but I think certainly as a Yankee fan, um, we our expectations are almost always, you know, having playoff teams. And what I like to joke is, you know, my kids were born, and literally for the first, like, 15 years of their lives, the Yankees made the playoffs every single year. There wasn't a year alive where the Yankees weren't in the playoffs. So it was unfathomable when the Yankees missed the playoffs. They were like, what does it mean the Yankees missed the playoffs? So I think, you know, as a Yankee fan, that's what your expectations are almost every preseason. But certainly after last year's 100-plus win season, you had to feel reasonably confident about you know, making a deep run in this year's playoffs. So I was a little bit different. Um, I, I know the Yankees won 100 games last season, but I absolutely hated the way that team played baseball. I mean, I thought they were way too reliant on the home run. I thought that, you know, they would take a step back this year because I, I was just dubious about J.A. Happ uh, being as good as he was at the end of last season. I mean, that's really impossible considering he went undefeated at the stretch run of last uh, regular season. But I, I thought they'd be, you know, 90, 91 wins and, and in line for a wild card spot. I did not anticipate them being this good. I didn't anticipate my new favorite player in baseball, D.J. LeMay, who being an MVP candidate. Um, I didn't anticipate a lot of this. So I've been personally exceedingly pleasantly surprised about their brand of ball that they, I know they hit a lot of home runs, but it doesn't seem as they are as reliant on the home run ball, which is nice because you saw the, the formula last year for the Red Sox and, and the Astros the year before that, that, you know, teams that mash home runs, but they also don't just strike out, and that's all that they do. It's either a home run or a strikeout or a walk. So it's nice to see that they've incorporated a little bit more small ball, which isn't, I guess, going against the new analytics or whatever. But it, it, it's it's been a breath of fresh air watching them this year, especially considering they've had the injury bug the way they've had, um, and they've been able to get past a whole bunch of injuries. It's It's been a really fun year so far. Yeah, listen, there's, there's no question it's been a, a super fun year uh, to watch the Yankees. Um, a couple of points I would say is that, you know, you know, I grew up, you know, a little bit older than you and certainly, you know, was more of like a traditional baseball guy in terms of batting average and runs batting in and you want your on-base percentage to be high. But, you know, today's game is different. It's, it's all about the homer, right? That everyone's swing, right, and launch angle is all about, you know, the value of the home run versus everything else. So, you know, we, we can't live in this old school mentality of, 
you know, that's the way it was, not the right way to play baseball, it evolves, right? And sometimes it's pitchers that dominate, sometimes it's hitters, and this is, we're in the home run era, right? And you look at some of the stats, look at Minnesota's home run goal, this year's ridiculous, but everyone coming up from the minor leagues is focusing on lunch angles. So, you know, you know, to say a team's highly relying on the, on the home run, and, you know, and it versus strikeouts, but that's, that's the nature of the beast, right? That's, that's how teams win today. And, you know, the, the metrics, you know, back that up, but, you know, that's what's happening throughout the minor leagues is everyone's focusing on home runs. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, that, that's what baseball in, you know, 2019 looks like is it's all about the home run, right? Whether you love it or hate it, that's how teams are built. I think the other point you made in terms of, you know, LeMayo and, and the roster, you know, I think people totally underestimate Cashman, right? And they say, oh, it's easy to be the GM of the Yankees because they have all the money. There's no salary cap for the Yankees. They can spend whatever they want. But you look at, you know, and when year in, year out, every single trade he makes and every pickup he makes, and again, they're not all successes, but time after time, you look at this roster of the homegrown talent, the pickups like the, you know, DJ LeMayo's, and, and the Gio or Sellers and the Torres and the local talent and judge and, you know, and Luke Voigt, uh, just look at some of those pickups. I think Cashman is super underrated, both from a trade perspective, right, as well as how he's able to cultivate the farm system. And I think he's done a, a phenomenal job, right, which is, you know, keeping the Yankees afloat through all these crazy industry, uh, injuries that had this year. No, no argument there. I mean, Brian Cashman has been on an absolute heater, even though the Yankees haven't won the World Series since 2009. But he's been, he's been awesome. Um, you mentioned something about the way you know baseball is played today with the launch angles, and I agree with you. But as we've seen, and we've seen this in basketball also, right? You know, with the way teams play, like the Houston Rockets, uh, free throws, layups, three point shots. But in the playoffs, you have to evolve. And, and I think they're just like in basketball where there's a major dichotomy between what works in the playoffs and what works in the regular season. I think in baseball, we're try, we're starting to see that there's that same kind of dichotomy. Uh, and, and you want teams to be able to be versatile in the way they play. And I do think that the Yankees this year, whether it's a, a, a mindset, a, a mandate from, from Aaron Boone or, or management, but I, I do think that they've actively decided that, you know, we need to do some little things and some old school stuff in the playoffs to be successful. Because if you're going to stand in the box as right-handed hitters and just constantly swing for the fences and miss, well, you're going to be out quickly like they were last year. Yeah, listen, I, I don't think it's an all or nothing strategy with a launch angle, but that, that's, the, that's the way baseball is headed, right? And it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be good fundamentally. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, hit and run, or you shouldn't steal at the right time, et cetera. But, you know, you're going to see that increasingly the percentage of runs scored are coming from the home run, right? That's the trend that's happened over the last number of years. And that's going to continue, continue to evolve. But, you know, it, it, baseball's a complete game. It's all about, you know, me scoring more runs than you. And that's included not just on your home run, but on your defense and your pitching and everything combined. So I think it's, it's a combination of what you're saying. But let's not, you know, discount the fact that, from a value perspective, the home run is still the most valuable, um, you know, way to score runs today, right? And again, sometimes you're trusting. In terms of your analogy with the Rockets, you know, they lost in six games to the Warriors, and the Warriors, you know, were a sixth team 
that way. It, without them, the Warriors, the Rockets very easily could have won the championship this year. So that it works. True. It's true, but you know, you ne- you never. I guess my counter is when you know the Rockets go 0 for 27 from three, and and the well dries up. You want to be able to just do different stuff when things aren't working. Um, I don't know. Yeah, listen, I, it, I don't. It, ha- it, it, it's it's back down to that fundamental argument of looking at analytics, right? And I think you know, we, we, you know, t- 20 years ago, we were so you know ignorant when it came to analytics, or maybe 30 years ago. And I think we're going to get to some point where analytics doesn't always take into account people's personalities and who we are. So sometimes at some point we're going to be over-reliant on analytics as opposed to understanding that we're human beings and there's individuals. But I still think there's, we're still you know, heading, whether it's baseball or basketball, et cetera, to still be able to actually evolve the game to be more analytic-focused in terms of you know, the success of teams. I hear that I have a I have a lot of you know a lot of people I talk to, uh, you know, feel the same way you do. I I'm like I, I've sort of gone the other way because I I think you know analytics have actually we've kind of jumped the shark on analytics a little bit, and they're definitely and they definitely help. And and I'm not, it's not that I'm anti analytics, but it's just like you know I, I never considered sports to be like playing blackjack. You know, sports there's an emotion to it. And that, that's just, and I can't, I can't just get there where it's like, you know, spinning roulette. But anyway, so you mentioned something about pitching. So uh, one of the major pitchers, considering that the trade deadline is um, on Wednesday, uh, I guess it's, it would be done by this time tomorrow. So one of the major pitchers who was on the market was Marcus Stroman, right? And the Yankees were rumored to be getting Marcus Stroman. And what do you know? Marcus Stroman is traded to the Mets for what seems to be like not a major haul. How surprised were you that the Mets actually pulled the trigger? And how surprised were you that the Yankees didn't try and top it a little bit, given where their pitching staff is at the moment? So let's talk about the Mets for one second, even though I'm a diehard Yankee fan. When the trade went down, my son looks at me and he goes, Dad, I'm so confused. Why are the Mets trading for a starter? And my answer was super simple. It's because they're the Mets. So that, that's the only way to explain the Mets is that they're the Mets. And thank God, you know, even, you know I, I, I cursed my boys with being Jets fans. So at least we're Jets Yankees because if we had to be Jets Mets fans, it would have been so much worse. So, you know, I, I, you know, the fact that the Mets picking up another starting pitcher and then trading a pitcher yesterday, you know, I, I think they're a total mess. Right, of an organization. So, but that's a whole different, you know, podcast. I think it was a little bit surprising that the Yankees didn't make a bigger push for Stroman, but he's okay. He's having a good season this year. But I actually, I actually think there's a real methodology behind the Yankees' approach when it comes to pitching. And I heard some an amazing podcast called the Baseball Rabbi Podcast, and what they do. It, one of their great episodes that I love is they kind of analyzed the Yankee pitching over the last 10 years or so. And what was interesting stat that they put across was that the Yankees over this last number of years have the highest average velocity fastball and the lowest percentage of fastballs thrown. Okay? Which is weird because if you're throwing the ball that's the fastest in the league, you think you throw your fastball more often and not the lowest in the league. 
And when you look at the trend that the Yankees have done with their pitchers, is the value of the fastball compared to the off-speed is not nearly as high. So there's a fundamental organizational approach to pitching in the Yankees where they're focusing on pitchers that are going to throw more off-speed pitches that have higher value than the fastball. But when they do throw a fastball, it's going to be fast. And if you look at the league average, everyone's now catching up with the Yankees. And the average, I think for the first time, maybe under 50% of pitches are not fastballs anymore. So this is a league-wide trend, but something that the Yankees were ahead of the curve on. And I think they have, when they're identifying the pitchers, they look for a specific type of pitcher that meets the Yankee, you know, pitching mantra in terms of high-speed fastball, but more importantly, focusing on the higher-value pitches as opposed to just a straight fastball pitcher. Interesting. I I did not know that. I, I did hear something that they were looking at in terms of the value, you know, spin rate and able to, you know, work with guys with higher spin rates, that that's something they look at. That, that's really that's that's really interesting. I, n- I never heard that. I mean, I, I would be curious to know what their swing and miss percentage is on the fastball versus the, the off-speed stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so on that podcast, as I mentioned, the baseball podcast, they go through all of that. What the swing and miss, why the value of the fastball is not as high, what, you know, the value of balls, you know, in play. It's a whole analysis. Right of that, and that's what they do generally on their podcast is kind of merge today's game and analytics and looking historically to put that in context. But it was it was it blew me away because I also when I first heard that I was like that's crazy stats right that you would think that would be you know high you know we know we throw hard pitchers but that they're not using their fastball and they use it it's super make it makes it much more effective and it's it's a fundamental approach of the organization it's not by chance. It's something that they drill into their pitchers, and they recruit pitchers that meet that specific criteria. Well, I'm gonna have to check out that episode. Um, that episode. Uh, which episode number was it on the um? What was it the um the Rabbi uh, Baseball uh, Podcast? Yeah, I don't know. I have to look it up for you, but I'll get that information to you. Absolutely awesome. Well, um, definitely, definitely want to check that out. Uh, so uh, Brian Cashman, who we've uh, just sung his praises. Um. He hasn't really been a buyer at the deadline per se in terms of big moves, right? So they acquired J.A. Happ last year, um, and he loves to hold on to prospects to a point. So given the state of the team and, and the expectations and where they are, how aggressive do you anticipate him being tomorrow in dangling certain high-level prospects, especially this guy uh, Garcia, uh, the pitcher, and um, Clint Frazier, who's been up and down and has shown that he's been a major league level bat. Yeah, I wish he was a major league level, uh, you know, defensive player as well. That would be great. Him and Miguel Andujar, it would it would really help if they were even slightly below average defensive players. Yeah, I listen. I, I think there's a logjam in the Yankee outfield. Um, Judge isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Hicks isn't going anywhere, and uh, you know. Giancarlo, if he gets back, you know, he's not going anywhere. Whether that's good or bad is a different story. And I think that they're pretty well stacked in terms of the outfield. So I think Frazier has a great bat. I think the defense is a potential liability. And he, I agree with you. I think the Andor pairing is a great example where the value you can get from them, I think, is maybe higher than they, you know, maybe. That's, that's a personal feeling. I think that 
you know, in terms of what Cashman should or shouldn't do, as I said, I think, you know, he knows the team a lot better than we do, but, you know, I think this whole starting pitching thing, and especially in the last um, few days, you know, in the series in Boston really highlighted it, but if you look again statistically, and I think I saw this on the SPN, the Yankees, you know, ERA in April was like three and a half. It was like four something in May, like over five in June, and like over six in July. So every month they've been getting worse and worse and worse, right? So given that, you'd say, hey, we got to go out, get a starting pitcher. But, you know, maybe, right, an alternative there is our bullpen's good, although I still think Chapman's a little shaky lately. He makes me nervous. This is too appropriate. Yeah, I make me nervous as well, is that if, and there's a big if, we're going to get Batantis back, right, and we're going to get Severino back, they're better than any, pretty much almost anyone out there on the market. So it's almost like we have an inherent tree coming in a month where we're going to get two stud pitchers in. And why not just, if, if our bullpen is the strong you know, spot, and let's bolt that up and make it awesome and bring on another great reliever or two, take less pressure off, you know, Chapman and Britain, and then, you know, take that more opener approach like a Tampa team. So, you know, it could be that the better approach than, you know, trading those prospects for, you know, a stud or a good, you know, starting pitcher is we double down on what we do well. And even if we can get like three, four innings out of a starting pitcher, we just, you know, start the, you know, bullpen. And that, that works decently for a short series, especially in the playoff where there's lots of rest in between games. So I don't hate that approach because I, I, I'm not sure necessarily who the, you know, who the the monster starter is. I mean, you thought a couple of weeks ago it may have been Max Scherzer, right? But the Nationals are back in the race, and he's been on the IL a couple of times. Um, so it's not really him. Is it Bumgarner? Maybe. You know, I've always liked Noah Syndergaard more than most, but I, I understand that his talent is just tantalizing. Um, I can't. Can you can you see the Mets trading with the Yankees though? N- no, but I, I <laughs> no, but I I do think that it, if the Met if the Yankees decided and said, listen, we have this logjam of outfielders, and the Mets need basically everything, right? In terms of, I mean, they have Jeff McNeil in the outfield, but they can use another outfielder. They can use hitters. Um. If they decided to go all in for Noah, who's he's still at like 24 years old, that I'd be okay with. My only thing with the Yankees is that Clint Frazier, you know, has value, but every time he stays in the minors, he loses more value, right? With Gio Urshela sure. being as good as he is, and even if he hits 260, with him being the defensive player he is, like, Andujar is so expendable, so... You're gonna have to cash those guys in. Like you want to maximize those assets. So I, I just want them to be aggressive in that sense and and try and get somebody, even if it's you know trying to get Noah, which may be unlikely, or even if it's like Trevor Bauer, you know, it just because you got to cash those guys in because eventually they're gonna be completely you know less valuable than they than they are right now. So you you have to strike. Yeah, but, but the question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but the question is, do you so? Andor's Andor's hurt, right? So unfortunately, you're not going to get anything for him right now, right? The, the question with the Clint Frazier is, do you get more value in the next, you know, 24 hours, or do you get more value in an offseason? Right? Well, he comes in up in September, he plays well, hopefully improves his defense a little bit, right? Where you have less pressure, right, 
that's how do you maximize this value? I agree with you 100%. You got to cash those chips in. The question is, do you do that under the pressure of a pennant race and you know mid-season where there's this arbitrary July 31st deadline, or do you do it in an off-season where you know you can potentially be less pressured to make that move? Normally, I would say do it in the off-season, but I think this team is a special enough group where a, a major trade at the deadline could be the deciding factor in them winning a World Series. And, and, yeah, but, only... but which, who, who, who's, let's put Noah Syndergaard because I think that's a pipe dream. But put Noah aside, who's that guy, one or two people, that's going to push the Yankee team where they are over that, you know, we're going to win the World Series? Who do you think that guy is? It, it could. <laughs> It's tough to say. Uh, I, I mean, Trevor Bauer's really good. I, yeah. I do. If he's not, as long as you keep the drones away from him. Yes. Uh, I mean, I also think that, I mean, look at what Madison Bumgarner does in the playoff. If he can just get you there. And I know his contract situation and, and what he's going to want, uh, given his age. But, you know, banners fly forever. And, and if you can, I, I know it may be a rental, and that, that's kind of scary. But like he's a guy who who I think in the right circumstance could swing it their way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear that. I just think that you look at again the way baseball set today, and, and the premium on the bullpen is. I'd rather kind of bulk that up. And I think there's a few teams that have good, solid, you know, lefty relievers and other relievers that we kind of shorten the game even further. So you know, I, I think that the, the down the up what you'd have to give away for some of those guys and 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 really but like let's go all in on the bullpen that's that's the only thing obviously if you get a brower you get them but i think you know let's maybe a better approach is just to kind of you know make even if we get three innings or four innings i think about the the way the playoffs are structured right tanaka he gives you normally the one time around he's fine um if we can get you know um you know, as I said, if we can get Patances back, unbelievable. If we can get Sabrina back, ridiculous. So I think, you know, we, we plug a starter or two in there, get two things at a CC, and a couple of others, you know, J-half three innings, and you have a lockdown bullpen. You can, you can cover, you know, five, six innings. That's true. Then, then uh, I, I don't hate that approach of getting a reliever, but they have to do something. That's my point. They, they have yeah, to they, do something. Because, yeah, the Red Sox series was, like, a little jarring in terms of them getting knocked around. Um, going forward, who's the team that in the American League that scares you the most? I mean, they have a comfortable lead right now, but who's that team that scares you down the line? Is it potentially the Red Sox? Because for me, it's the Red Sox. Listen, I, I think as a Yankee fan, we're always worried about the Red Sox. I, had, uh, I, was, I took my two boys and we went to the London series. Oh, nice. And it was awesome. It was unbelievable. It was, I mean, baseball, it's totally off topic here, but baseball did an incredible job with that series. And the reason why is they kind of made it. Everything that's great about baseball, whether it's the freeze or the president's race or, you know, Sweet Caroline, the YMCA, it was like, let's take all the nuances about baseball that make it fun. And they had, you know, ridiculous high-scoring offenses and, Yankee Red Sox, and they brought tourists, and every, even the locals were at the game. So everything about it was incredible. And but even when you're at the game as a Yankee fan, and the Yankees are up, you know, 
12 to, you know, four or whatever the score is, you're, you're still nervous about the Red Sox. So I think, you know, our heart, we're always worried about the Red Sox just because of the last few years. Um, but you got to also look at the math, right? There's a 10 game, you know, swing in the loss column with like 45 to play. You know, even if the Yankees won 500, the Red Sox would have to go like 35 and 10, you know, or whatever, whatever the math is to catch up, right? It, it would be very hard for the Red Sox. I think, you know, we, we always worry about that, but the bigger issue, if you ask me, is still the Astros. The Astros are just so good top-down from pitching, you know, defense, hitting that lineup, and, you know, and, and, and the lineup of the Astros is just ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a lot more worried about the Astros in the long term than I am the Red Sox. Because, yeah, this last weekend was, was scary. But, you know, if the Yankees take three out of four or even split, you know, this weekend, well, when they play next, then, you know, we're, we're back to, okay, you know, things are, they're, they're back 12 or whatever. And, you know, and, and we've rewrited that ship. But the Astros long-term, I think, are a much bigger risk. So I hear what you're saying with the Astros because the Astros are really good. I don't know what it is, but, like, if the Yankees saw the Red Sox in a best-of-seven series, I just, they give me the creeps, man, uh, with, with the way they're able to hit with the, with the lineup balance that they have. And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm scarred from last year and it's not the same Red Sox team, but I don't know, man, these Red Sox are, you know, I, I'm just nervous about them in a seven game series and maybe it's, yeah, it's recency think, bias. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, we, we, you got to get past that. I don't think the Red Sox have to make it in. They, they, there's a decent chance they'll even make it. So, yeah, they had a good week, but, you know, can they keep that up? And I, I don't think the Red Sox are this year, the same as the Red Sox last year. They're still a fantastic team. Don't get me wrong. Right? And you can definitely see them making the run, and it would be a great series that could come down to a game seven. But I think net-net, you look at Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Gurriel, this guy, Jordan, yeah, Alvarez is ridiculous. Brantley, there's, there's no outs in that lineup, right? Forgetting the fact that, you know, the, the pitching staff with Verlander, it's, it's like, you know, they're ridiculous, right, in terms of the Astros. So I think, you know, yes, we would, you know, you still have to be concerned about the Red Sox, but if you look at from a, you know, top to bottom, I think the biggest scare is definitely the Astros. Who's the position player on the Yankees uh, that you're looking for, um, or I should say that you think is the key down the stretch uh, of this season. Who's the guy that you have like your well, eye on? Well, I think you, you mentioned earlier that Kim LeMay will continue to do what he's doing because he's just been unbelievable. What a, what a spark plug for this team. But I think the, the biggest you know swing is Sanchez. Right? I was going to say the same thing. Right, I was going to say the exact yeah, when, same thing. Yeah, when, when he's right, it, he's so good. And when he's wrong, he's so wrong. So, you know, it's like, which Sanchez are you going to get? And if he could be consistent, and he went on a tear a couple of weeks ago, where he, he literally you couldn't get him out. And I think Torres is another one of those guys that has the ability to get hot. So, But I, but I think the, the number one piece there is that Sanchez, at, at, you know, number four when he's on, makes the Yankees a very good team. I, I couldn't agree more. Sanchez is the... Uh is like the linchpin over here almost because it's not that the Yankees go as Sanchez goes, but 
the lineup is just so much deeper when he's right. And he's been in a major funk and you've seen it in big spots. And now he's on the IL for about 10 days. Maybe it's just a mental break. Who knows? But, you know, if they can get him right, um, you know, it, it's really going to improve their chances. Because in terms of the it, talent as a hitter, I mean, he's probably the most talented pure hitter on the team when, when he's going good. But we just need to get him back there. Um, all right. So, yeah, what, what were you going to say? No, no. I think the other one that kind of sneaks up on you when he gets hot and cold, we forget about it. But when Luke Floyd kind of has those hot streaks, he has the ability to change his series. Yeah. So he's another one we shouldn't forget about. But, and, you know, I think it, it boils down to, you know, Judge is going to be Judge. And Cardinals, you know, great pickup as well. Another great move that they literally got for free. But it, 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 you know, I think to your point, it all comes down to Sanchez. And for the most part, I think that, you know, everyone else, you know, who knows what happens then. But I think, you know, for all intents and purposes. He know, cr- cr- so cross, hi- cross him off. As, exactly. Cross him off. The thing, the thing that differentiates, you know, Sanchez from like Luke Voigt, right? Is they have yep. dudes that they can plug in where Luke Vo- Voigt plays. I mean, between Encarnacion, they can, you know, have what's his name? You can have Lemayhu play first and Encarnacion play first and Encarnacion uh, can DH. I mean, they just have dudes that if Luke Voigt goes on a little bit of a cold streak, they can withstand that. It just Sanchez is just the guy who who really kind of like stirs the drink a little bit. I agree, hundred percent. So I know it's past midnight where you are right now. So I'm going to leave you with this. So how do you see the Yankees season playing out? Where do you think they finish the year, and how do you think the playoffs are going to go? So I, I really think you know. First of all, the Yankee fan would expect to win the World Series every year, but. I think, you know, it really might come down to can they maintain the best record and get that home field advantage throughout the playoffs, right? And we saw it last year where, you know, that game seven is so critical at home. And I think it comes down to, as I mentioned, Yankees-Astros in the championship series and the winner of that wins the World Series. I don't want to hear about, you know, I know Dodgers have a great team, but, you know, the Dodgers in the playoffs, not the Dodgers in the regular season, as we've seen over the last four years. But I think it, it comes down to Yankees Astros. Whoever wins that series, and hopefully Yankees, I think is the uh, who's going to be our uh, the World Series champion this year. I agree with you. To quote uh, the famous street poet Jay Z about the Dodgers, he's all right, but he's not real. Uh, that you know, <laughs> it's a famous Jay Z lyric. Uh, that to me is the the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. I I'm with you a hundred percent. I think it's going to be Astros Yankees and the winner of that is going to win the world series. Um, and uh, I'm praying that it's the Yankees and hopefully they have a good deadline tomorrow. Mr. Jonathan Stefanski, I can't thank you enough uh, for making your debut on the podcast. I know it's late by you, so I'll let you go. Uh, this was great. And we're going to have to, uh, around playoff time, we're going to have to uh, reconvene and, uh, and chat about it a little bit. Fantastic. And uh, thanks so much for having me. It was been a real pleasure. and hope to do it again real soon. Thanks, Absolutely. Man. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks again to uh, first-time guest, uh, Mr. Jonathan Stefanski, calling in from Israel. Uh, kept him up super late, but he was super gracious with his time. It was, uh, it was a real pleasure. Definitely some good stuff. Uh, that takes us uh, out. Episode 51 for the love of the game. Took, take us out, Wheezy.
you stay and act like we find some all your got out of duct tape so when he praying i ignore the all i gotta say is i ignore Cannot be exfoliated, they think I'm associated I'm the one that orchestrated, yeah, yo, get a ass with With like hearts, like hearts, it's racing Ain't about what you walk away from, it's about what you walk away with Dead presidents, them coffins baking I'ma be doing something I know only one to get the job done I don't know a no one that could cover for me, yeah Got some game from my day, so she might say she love me She don't love me like she said she love me, believe me Believe me, I didn't the boy that love me in the street I'm not trying to find nobody else to Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.